Welcome back to the show, everybody. I think we're going to get into this week, as promised, a week ago. <laughs> I have, I have, uh, I know I've been missing weeks here and there. It is literally just, just the the nature of the beast in doing the, this farm, uh, in conjunction with being a dad, being a husband, and podcasting and coaching people and coaching and fit for service and all the wonderful things that we got going on. There are many, many, many great things, but I do wear many hats. So my apologies when I am late on getting a podcast out, but I guarantee you these ones are going to be awesome. Today's episode is with my longtime friend and um, longtime coach, Mark Bell, somebody that I've learned a ton from over the years. Uh, We talk about the great Jesse Burdick in this podcast, who's one of my favorite strength coaches of all time, and, and even my boy, Coach House, Joe Ken, uh, from the ASU days, and, and uh, you know, hit and miss every every now and then I get to train with him again, and I hope we have my fingers crossed I'll get to train with him again, but this was awesome. This was an awesome refresher on fitness, on strength and conditioning, on dieting, on the, the reason we are all systems go for regenerative agriculture. And um, many great things. What life was like in California. Last time I had Mark on, it was kind of early on in the pandemic. Um, Not face-to-face, you know, via the interwebs. And uh, we had a lot of good stuff to talk about then. But this is a great one and a great one for me. And it's something that really refreshed my mind on like, oh, yeah, these old school, like the the greats, like Louis Simmons, you know, West Side style. Um, I haven't trained in that way in a long time. And one thing that Mark taught me or re-taught me, reminded me of was training with bands. And if you've you've ever trained with bands, like deadlifting with bands or squatting with bands, I know squats a little bit better with chains, but I'm pretty tall. So I can get that that band nice and taut at the top. Um, Certainly the deadlift, like it's like a whole different animal. It really is. And I was, so since this, since this um, podcast with Mark in town, I completed both a um, deadlift workout on bands 50% 50% of my one rep max. So I just put two and a quarter. And I know that's light guys. Uh, I went a little less than 50% of the one rep max and put a two and a quarter on. And then I just kept adding bands and kept adding bands. And finally got to a point where I had trouble locking out. And at six foot three, I never have trouble locking out. And if you've never deadlifted before, you don't know what the hell I'm talking about, but this episode's still for you. I promise. Um, but I had trouble locking out at the last two reps, three and four. And I was like, damn, one thing I noticed was it set my ass on fire and hit the glutes in a way that I haven't really experienced before in deadlifts. And I'm speaking from a sumo deadlift stance. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, check out a sumo deadlift video from uh, Mark Bell or Jesse Burdick or any of these great guys and, um, and try that exercise because it is one of my all-time favorites and it hits so many delicious muscle groups all at the same time. Like if I only had time for one lift, it would be that lift. I guarantee it. And, um, I just loved it. I mean, I didn't, it didn't beat up my spine. It didn't beat up my central nervous system, but it was a motherfucker trying to lock out those last two reps, reps three and four. I was like, wow, I know I'm not fatigued. It's just that hard at the top. So the bands add progression and what it teaches the body to do is move like an athlete. It teaches you to accelerate through the movement. And it's something that's overlooked when we're just thinking about how do I get the body that I want? Or how do I, how do I look a certain way? You know, everyone's targeting like single leg hip ups and shit like that. Or you see the girls doing the hip thrusters with a little pad underneath the bar. And that's all good. Don't get me wrong. Uh, accessory lifts have, have their place and they're certainly fun, but they're not the meat and potatoes. And so if you can do the meat and potatoes with bands or chains, you're actually adding an element that makes you a better athlete. 
Now, I'm not going to fight again or anything like that. I'm probably not going to run anything further than a half marathon, nor do I need to have a strong and powerful deadlift to do that. But that said, I mean, I finished the, that last set and I felt like I could jump over a building. I immediately had more spring in my legs. It was like, damn, like that quick. And, and some of that's mental, but a lot of it was priming. I primed my body for the muscles that activate jumping and running. And when you feel light on your feet and you're light as a feather, tend to feel better. Like I immediately felt it, felt it, I immediately felt better where I was like, holy shit, like I, I need to do this more. And so I did the squats, same weight in my squat a little bit less. So it was a little bit over 50%. And that one taxed me a little bit. So <laughs> I got to ease back down on the squats. I'll probably drop to 185 with the bands that I'm using. But experiment, have fun. And that's one of the things that Mark continues to impress me with is that he's always experimenting with himself. And he's always tracking the thing that he's not into. And Mark, believe it or not, who's a couple inches shorter than me and maybe 10 pounds heavier, um, stacked like a brick shithouse. <laughs> he's getting into distance running. So I'm like, fuck yeah, man, this is awesome, right? So he, again, one thing that Mark has said over the years is what is the best form of training? It's the thing you haven't been doing for a while. It's the thing you don't do, right? Because that's, that's the necessary training component that your body's been missing. And so I just love that if I was inspired by Mark, as I always am, you guys are going to love this episode. There's a number of ways you can support us. Share this with friends, anybody who's into strength, conditioning, fitness, or, or just living a healthier lifestyle. We cover all the bases in this episode. Share it with them. Uh, leave us a five-star rating. That way, more people can see the show. The more five-star ratings we have, the higher we climb in the charts from a popularity contest standpoint, and that gets more eyes and ears on us. And then, of course, check out our sponsors. These guys make um, some of the best products ever, and we have a, few, a couple new ones today. Um, but they're all hand-selected, hand-selected from me or my team, and these guys make the show absolutely possible. First, we are brought to you today by EquipFoods.com slash KKP. Equip was founded in 2016 by Dr. Anthony Gustin, also a former podcast guest, so I got to head back on, because he felt that people should be able to get exactly what they need in supplements and nothing else. No additives, chemicals, fillers, or other junk. We are proud to provide some of the shortest ingredient lists in the supplement industry made from 100% real foods. Our best-selling product is Prime Protein, a grass-fed beef protein powder that tastes like dessert. 4.9 stars with over 700 reviewers. Here's a breakdown of each product and common questions. Prime Protein comes in chocolate, vanilla, strawberry, and it's a grass-fed, grass-finished beef isolate protein providing complete protein. This is super important. Many people ask me like, oh, what kind of protein powder should I have? Uh, weight gives me gas. Or uh, what do you think of this vegan protein? And I'm like, well, uh, it's probably not a complete protein. Or if they're adding in, you know, how many, how many peas does it take to make 40 grams of protein? Um, that might not sit well with you interiorly. Our main protein sources throughout history have come from meat. So why not get our protein powder from meat? and from a very high quality source as well. One scoop of prime protein is equivalent to four ounces of grass-fed beef. Prime protein is less likely to cause gastrointestinal issues like whey protein. Prime protein contains collagen and gelatin that repairs your joints and soft tissues like plant protein will not. Prime protein does not have any added chemicals, fillers, binding agents, or artificial coloring or sweeteners. This is a natural product and it is incredible. Their beef protein is made the same way that bone broth is made, low and slow, heating to preserve the nutrition, no chemical processing. Prime protein is paleo and keto approved, and it tastes like dessert, not beef. You, you'll have to try it for yourself. There's 30 servings per bag. 
the most common three uses of prime protein are as a meal replacement or for post-workout nutrition that's immediately in that one-hour window after you finish hitting the gym or added to baked goods and recipes for a delicious, nutritious, and often low-carb treat. For beverages, most people mix a scoop of prime protein in a blender with milk, a milk alternative, or in their coffee for a creamy, nutrient-dense, caffeinated beverage. And yes, you can put this in a hot beverage. It will not deteriorate or denature uh, the same way that some other proteins will, like whey. And prime blends well in oatmeal, yogurt, and much more. It is a phenomenal product. They've also got complete collagen and pure wad, which is my all-time favorite pre-workout. It's got four grams of creatine in it, two and a half grams of beta alanine, a gram and a half of L-citrulline malate, two grams of L-leucine, L-isoleucine, and a gram of L-valine with a gram of coconut water powder, 500 megs of L-arginine, AKG, two to one. That is going to give you the pump that you're looking for. 500 milligrams of L-carnitine helps mobilize fat during your workout for fuel, and there's 20 calories per serving. That's less than a gram of carbohydrates and four grams of protein. It is incredible. And if you're looking, if you're inspired from this podcast today with Mark Bell and I, and you're like, fuck, I want to try something new, but I also want to be inspired and I want to get the most of my workouts, check out PureWad pre-workout and uh, this amazing prime protein from our dudes at equipfoods.com slash KKP. That is E-Q-U-I-P-F-O-O-D-S.com slash KKP. And then enter code word at checkout KKP for 20% off every part of your order. All right, y'all, we got a brand new one, newtopia.com slash Kingsbooth. These are my friends at Bioptimizers that have just come out with a fantastic state-of-the-art new way to consume and self-experiment with nootropics. How often do you wake up in the morning and instantly wish you had just another hour of sleep? You hit the snooze button and hope the next time your alarm goes off, you'll feel more energized. We all have those mornings, and the worst part is trying to turn your brain on to keep up with the demands of the day. Maybe you didn't get enough sleep. Maybe you have brain fog. Your energy is low. You just can't concentrate. Do you feel distracted easily? Feel like you're not getting enough done? Want to say goodbye to bad days for good? Imagine having control over how you feel and being able to turn on your brain within 10 minutes of waking up without coffee or caffeine. Simply flick a switch and turn on your brain within 10 minutes of waking up in the morning and be totally engaged, focused, upbeat, and productive no matter what gets thrown at you. It's not like a do not disturb feature for your brain. All of a sudden, everything seems to be going your way. You're in the zone. You're having your best ideas. You're happy. People are smiling at you. You aren't getting distracted. Your mind is clear, and it just feels like the universe is on your side. I've personally experienced this over the last few months since guinea pigging and trying out everything in everything in the Newtopia arsenal. Newtopia is the most advanced brain support and cognitive enhancement system that I've ever tried. They specialize in personalized brain supplements, also known as nootropics. If you've never heard of nootropics or brain supplements, uh, then you've never listened to this episode, so that's not you, but don't worry. They've been around for a long time and are safe, legal, and used by millions of top performers all around the world to enhance mental performance. Think of the movie Limitless. This is what it's based on. It's safe, natural, and non-addictive, and you can choose blends that don't have caffeine if you're caffeine sensitive. You can say, I don't want that. You fill out a questionnaire in about 10 minutes online and tell them everything you take if you feel so inclined and they will customize stuff. It is absolutely incredible. Unlike other products, there are no crashes, no jitters, and no after effects. Simply turn on your brain within 10 minutes of waking up every morning and the effects consistently throughout the day. I highly recommend the Nootopia system for anybody looking to take their focus and mental game up to a new level. 
They also stand by their products with a 365-day money-back guarantee. Go here now and experience your best mood and mental performance with personalized nootropics. Go to nootopia.com slash kingsboo and enter coupon code kingsboo10 for an extra 10% off. That is N-O-O-T-O-P-I-A dot com slash K-I-N-G-S-B-U and then K-I-N-G-S-B-U, all caps, number 10 for an extra 10% off at checkout. And of course, with the longer URLs, do not worry. They are all in the show notes. All right, Joe, we got another first timer, Force of Nature. I am so, so, so excited. I've been homies and fans with these guys for years. These are This is the squad at Rome Ranch that I've been talking about, the regenerative bison farm that's been doing so much for the game of regenerative agriculture. I have learned so much from them and continue to learn so much from them. Um, we harvested half a bison and I split with, with Taylor when two years ago when Wolf was in the womb. And that animal built my daughter that helped to build my son, that fed my wife and, and gave her nutrient-dense foods during her pregnancy with Wolf. And obviously that fed, that fed me quite a bit as well. Um, these guys are one of the best in the game and they have so many great new products out. I mean, you have to try the bison for yourself to believe it. It is the highest end bison you could possibly get. Um, 100% regenerative that is mapped from many different aspects. And I dive into that deeply with the Force of Nature guys. We've got them coming on the podcast here in a couple of weeks. Um, so you'll get to learn more from that podcast. But trust me when I say it, this is one of the best foods you can put in your body. And it's very hard to get food that is done in this type of way. Uh, they've also got a ton of new products that I've tried out that are insane. The bison and beef breakfast sausage will change your life. If you were used to growing up eating Jimmy Dean and uh, you know just dog shit food that tasted great, and you're like, well, now when I eat good food, I can't get that breakfast sausage taste. Like, no, you get the breakfast sausage taste as good as Cracker Barrel, as good as anywhere where you have that unique flavor of breakfast sausage. And it's 100% regenerative. There is nothing nasty in this. It is only good for you. The healthiest fats, the best fat-soluble vitamins and minerals, the best, most bioavailable vitamins, all of this in the bison and beef breakfast sausage. They got wild boar chorizo sausage, venison beef breakfast sausage, venison and beef link sausage with cherry and chipotle is my all-time favorite and it's so good. I mean, I'm just looking through it right now and I'm like, yeah, I, I, I need to place another order because <laughs> it's, uh, it's getting me going. These guys are sold at Sprouts. They're also sold at Whole Foods and they're everywhere all over the nation in the United States. And they can be ordered direct to your door as well. And you'll get the discount. So you obviously you got my discount code. If you order online, that's where you get the discount. But if you do forget and you see these guys in the store, Force of Nature, grab some of their stuff and then try it for yourself. They have an ancestral blend done with regenerative beef or regenerative bison that are absolutely incredible. The ancestral blend contains 3% heart and 7% liver. So it's not overwhelmingly uh, organ meat, but at the same time, it is an excellent way to sneak organ meat into your diet. You make hamburger patties, your kids will have no idea that there's 3% heart and 7% liver. Their bodies will though, because again, you're going to get some of the most nutrient dense foods packed into something that is essentially to them a hamburger. What kind of hamburger do you want that to be? Do you want it to be McDonald's? Do you want it to be something store-bought for cheap at Kroger's? Or do you want it to be the highest end of regenerative bison that includes 100% grass-fed, grass-finished, 100% pasture-raised, regeneratively raised, conservation-focused, wildlife-friendly, and a good source of iron? You want all these things in the food that you give to yourself and to your kids. 
Check it all out at https colon forward slash forward slash F-O-R-C-E-O-F-N-A-T-U-R-E.com. That is forceofnature.com. Discount code KKP for $15 off your first order. One more time, forceofnature.com. Discount code KKP at checkout for $15 off your first order. These guys are the best in the business. That is one of the healthiest ways that you can provide food for yourself and your family. Last but not least, we're brought to you by Lucy. These guys are the best. Look, we're all adults here, and I know some of us choose to use nicotine to relax, focus, or just unwind after a long day. Lucy is a modern oral nicotine company that makes nicotine gum, lozenges, and pouches for adults who are looking for the best, most responsible way to consume their nicotine. It's a new year. Why not start it out by switching to a new nicotine product that you can feel really good about? Uh, I mentioned this the last couple of times, but my brother, Nate Smith, hooked me up with their pouches. And it's a game changer. It's one where if you're not prepped for it, it's going to hit you pretty quick and pretty hard, but that's kind of how I like it. And I was like, wow, Um, perfect in the gym, perfect as a pre-workout, perfect as I'm reading books at night, because um, as as I've also mentioned a lot during this this very ad read over the years, uh, we've we've been with Lucy for a while now. Rob Wolf was one of the first guys that turned me on to this. And he he had spoken on a podcast with Ben Greenfield where he was supposed to give uh, recommendations on food, recommendations on training, and then recommendations on nicotine to um, some fairly fairly high up in the game special ops guys. And he was like, all right, I got food. I don't think I have training for you guys. You guys know more than me, uh, but why nicotine? And they said that everyone in the military uses some form of nicotine. We want to know the best uh, version of that to do. And he actually found that nicotine in and of itself is not a problem. It's likely the other 400 to 4,000 chemicals that they're adding to bastardize this plant. And um, that's usually the issue. So he talked about it as a nootropic, as a way to unlock brain chemistry and help one think clearly and imagine better. It is a muse for writers and authors and people on stage. It jogs the mind. And the most beautiful thing about it is it has a shorter acting window, meaning you get a ping and you're lit for about 45 minutes where you can focus really well. And then it shuts off. It's not a five or six hour ride. If I was to have a cup of coffee or if the the men and women overseas were to slam a Red Bull right before they go out on mission at 2 a.m., they can't turn that off when they get back. Nicotine can help you turn it on. And then when you need to an hour later, you can turn it off. And that's one of the best things. One of the reasons that I've fallen in love with this as a plant medicine is because of all these properties as a nootropic and it's short and active window when it's up and up. So check it all out. It's lucy.co, L-U-C-Y.co, and use promo code KKP at checkout. That is lucy.co and promo code KKP at checkout. 20% off order for all products at lucy.co. And um, warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Remember, if you're interested in a better way to use nicotine, visit lucy.co and be sure to use that promo code KKP for 20% off everything in the store. And without further ado, my brother, Mark Smelly Bell. If you're listening to this and not watching it on YouTube or Odyssey, check out for the new Odyssey channel. Mark looks like he's stroking that mic off. Trying to to figure out how to block the wind. Yeah, get two hands around it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) One hand, one hand won't do. It's too thick. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, for the folks that are just listening here, you're going to hear some wind on this episode. And my apologies, but it's a hot early summer Texas day in the South, y'all. And um, even though we got air conditioning in the house, it's much too lovely 
out here. I wonder if one of us sits over there if it would help. Would it yeah, block that might it? be it. That might be it. You want let's me to try that. it? Yeah, let's try it. I can still hear it. You know, I did one of these at the beach once, mm-hmm. and it was lovely. And still at the same listenership. So, oh. who were you with the, on the beach? It was at a uh, Shervin Jaferia's house. Uh, in um, that sounds like somebody way prettier than me. He is gorgeous, gorgeous Persian brother, uh, founder come, of Symbiotica Supplements. How come hot people have hot names too? I don't know, dude. Yeah, his 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 name means the lion. Really? It's pretty fucking rad. He is my brother and a lion for sure. Kingsbury, I've always thought was pretty good. That is a good one. It's not bad. No, I'm not I'm not mad about it. Well, let's see here. We sat down 30 minutes later than supposed to, but that's all good. You ain't got nothing going on later, do you? I got I got nowhere You're to just be. Come by for dinner. I got mm-hmm. nothing. I got nothing going on. All right. I love it. Um the last time we chatted, you were not at your house, but up north somewhere else in California. Hmm. I think you were, you were, it was you know, like mid-quarantine, you escaped oh, yeah, Sacramento? Yeah, yeah I was. <laughs> escaped I was, from uh, Sacramento. Yeah, I was hanging out in Bodega Bay for a long time. That's right. I remember I had been there for a uh, bachelor party at some point. Great oysters there. Oh, yeah. And mushrooms, organically grown, outdoor, naturals. An amazing place to be, and, and being uh, right next to the beach is amazing. And then that time, uh, you know, a lot of the gyms were closed. I got my own facility that I could go to, but... Uh, a lot of my members and stuff weren't going any longer. And I was like, you know what? It kind of sucks. I don't have the same camaraderie. So I'm just going to distance myself from a lot of this. And I went to the beach and that's when I started to run. I started to go outside and I was like, let me try some other type of exercise. So I started walking and there's a lot of hills there. And then occasionally I was like, let me see if I can run this hill. And I couldn't. Because <laughs> 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 the hills are, are pretty intense and I was pretty out of shape. And then I just took it as a challenge and started doing it more and more. And next thing you know, I'm running, running. Fuck yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. I always wondered that because one of my favorite quotes from you is like, uh, when you get the question, you know, what's the best form of training? Is it CrossFit? Is it bodybuilding? Oh, is it yeah. powerlifting? And it's it's the thing you're not doing, right? So, <laughs> Super like, frustrating, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about that. Whatever you're currently not working on, you probably lost some uh, access to. You know, you work on strength. And you might have, if you're really working on strength and trying to get strong, you might have lost uh, some of your leanness. And when you're trying to lean out and do bodybuilding stuff, you may have lost some of your strength and so forth. And it just continues on and on. You're trying to get fast. uh, You may have lost uh, some other attributes. If you're trying to gain a lot of endurance, you might have gotten weaker and so forth. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Always, always pushing to the extreme and then refining the center. Right. You know, and seeing like, can I move the total bar up? You know, one of the things I like, we were talking easy strength before this, but um, I think about this because I drew this parallel in coaching uh, folks in fit for service was that um, in the book Atomic Habits by James Clear, he talked a bit about Pat Riley in the, in the 1980s Lakers mm. and how his goal wasn't to be the best on defense or the best shooting team in the NBA. It was to get 2% better in each of the main five categories, which I think were defense, shooting, passing, rebounding, and dribbling. Just 2% better each day. And the requirement was that everyone was to get 2% mm. better. Magic Johnson, you're 2% better in each of those five categories. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, 2% better. And um, Charlie Francis, who was Ben Johnson's coach yeah. in the 88 Olympics, famous for, for stating uh, the, the playing field is level. It's just not the playing field you think it is. Right. Um, he also had said, if you're not 
If you're not getting 1% to 3% better every time you enter the gym or the track, you're training too often. And if you average 1% to 3%, that's 2%. Right. You know, so I think of those little upticks. Um, and you can't do it all all the time, you know. Like I remember I was training with Burdick. We were just talking about our boy Jesse uh, before the podcast out on the farm. I was training with with Jesse working on like getting a deadlift PR mm-hmm. while I was trying to fucking do my first 55K ultra. And he's like, you know, let's back you down a little bit on the strength training right now. We'll still keep you strong, but, but you know, you're doing a lot of running. You're doing a lot right. of other things. I don't want you to get hurt before this race. And, you know, an, an intelligent, wise, and beautiful soul, uh, beautiful coach he is and a beautiful soul. He knew best, you know, but it, you, you, I could push to that extreme in that period of time. And then it took me a long time to recover, to get my strength back. So it speaks to really what you're talking about. <laughs> it's, it's an interesting thing. Yeah. You, whatever you're dri- you know, driving towards, once you get to that goal, then you might be kind of missing out on some other aspects and attributes. One thing I find really fascinating is uh, frequency. We were talking about that just a little bit before the show started. And if you're to think about it, like if you did something like, all the time like you practice something all the time as in like say gymnastics you know you're going to be really springy you're going to be able to move really well you're going to be able to but when it comes to lifting weights for some reason like lifting weights isn't really considered a practice but meanwhile with everything else that we do you're always talking about going to practice and specifically with training um, obviously if someone's like a power lifter or bodybuilder maybe they start to view it as like a practice but are people really improving that much on it? And, and usually the answer is like, no, you're really not improving as much as you would think. I would challenge people right now to think about how long they've been training for. And I'd also challenge them to think about how long they've made progress for. Normally, the unfortunate, horrible news of all this is that if you train for about six to eight years, you kind of have peaked out. Like you're not going, and I know there's people listening right now, they're like, that's bullshit. And they want to think it's bullshit and they want to believe whatever they want to believe. But I was 240 pounds when I was 16. I deadlifted 633 weighing 198 when I was like 20. Uh, you know, since that time I took steroids, I used, I wore powerlifting equipment that helped me lift more weights. And I did a 766 deadlift weighing like 280, <laughs> 280 pounds. So yeah, there was, there's improvements, uh, but they're not, they're not really as big improvements as you think. In that six to eight year time frame of when you first start, those improvements will look pretty interesting. Those improvements should look pretty good. Uh, but most of the people I know, whether I think about John Cena, whether I think about Mike O'Hearn, um, these guys have always been savages since the time they were really young. And the improvements are, they're minuscule. So I love what you're saying, that the 2%, because... What I like about that is you can apply the 2% to wherever you see fit because it's not always going to be in hypertrophy. It's not always going to be in strength. Maybe like for you and I, like we take being in our 40s, we take cheap victories. We're like, I moved a little bit better today. And you're like, yes. When we were in our 20s, we'd be like, that that was a horrible, <laughs> that was a horrible workout. We wouldn't be like, well. Worthless piece of shit. Yeah. We wouldn't be like, well, you went ass to grass with 225. We'd be like, no, that was only 225. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. The wind, the wind is excited just as much as we are right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the little wins, it does change. You know, it's something that I've really gravitated towards knowing you know, I've, I've really made a clean decision 
it was after training with Jesse, you know, when I had really pushed myself, I had a, it was the first time in my life where I got to practice strength full time was with Jesse. You know, before that it was, you know, I had big house, Joe Ken, but it was geared for football, which included hypertrophy blocks because we needed to be bigger, especially me. I was, you know, scrawny, juiced up, uh, D lineman, you know, scrawny at 268. Um, I needed, I needed a train size. I couldn't just focus on strength. And then in fighting, I had to lean out. I had to be light and I needed my strength to be fast. It couldn't just be pure brute force. I had to be quick and I had to have um, plyometric ability and be able to, to last and have endurance that matched that, you know? So there was many other factors that went into that. I mean, that was a whole, you know, people still haven't solved the riddle of how you train appropriately for MMA. Um, but post that, when I could focus on just the one thing and have a great coach like Jesse, I was like, this is fucking fun. This is rad. And it scratched a lot of the itch that I had in fighting because I could push myself. And as Henry Rollins says, the weights don't lie, right? Like, you know what you fucking pull or you didn't get it up, right? There's no like, hey, you're pretty close. You know, like there's none of that. Like the bar moved or it didn't. It's like, it wasn't good. No. (laughs) And, uh, and so I really enjoyed that. And then, um, when we first moved to Vegas, I got back into jujitsu a bit more. I had, I was, I was still training when I was at Jesse, but I remember rolling with Robert Drysdale out in Vegas. And I've told this story before on the podcast, but hopefully not too often. And, uh, you know, Drysdale proved a couple of things. One, there are levels to the game of black belt that matter, you know, and I was a black belt for about a year at that point and some change. And I think he had been a black belt longer than I'd been training in the sport. And he just not breathing through his nose effortlessly would submit me anytime he wanted. And I was so fucking gassed at the end of that, that I went to the wall and like Wim Hof breathes for fucking 10 minutes. I had to take two rounds off before I could roll again with not Robert Drysdale. And, um, that, that proved a second point that there is a point of diminishing returns when you still have other goals. Right. And so being 238 which was, wasn't 268 in football, but being 238, which was much bigger than I was in fighting, that was too big for my body type for the mat. You know, I'd lost mobility. I'd lost a fuck ton of endurance. And, um, you know, even for just the fact that like, I'm, I'm not entering tournaments or trying to win anything or have any delusions of grandeurs of ADCC and any, anything like that. But I got my son in jujitsu and Muay Thai, and I want to be able to last with him. I want to be able to get on the mat and be able to roll multiple rounds that requires a different level of endurance. So really finding where that happy medium is for me from a weight standpoint, not from an aesthetic standpoint or a strength standpoint, but saying like, all right, I got to sacrifice some strength here. If I can PR at 238, but I can't run and I can't roll, then that weight's got to come down. And if I'm not going to PR at that weight, cool. I still going to put, I still got to push myself. What can I, how much, how strong can I be at 228? How strong can I be at 225? Where can I, where can I, you know, run a half marathon since I'm not going to do a fucking ultra again and, and still have strength and then find that balance point between each of those things and continue to push myself in each of those things. And that's, that's really where I'm looking for 2%. It's uh, fun to have that balance. You know, it's fun to be, be able to figure out balance, but as you were mentioning, like starting up this farm, you know, it's hard, right? It was, it, it, there's too mu- too many things to do sometimes and it makes it hard to be a dad or it makes it hard to be a husband or it makes it hard to be a good friend or business partner Some in some instances where you have so much to do. And I think this is like exactly what we're kind of alluding to here. Like if, if I was just starting out, you know, and you're like, all right, well, we got to start out with jujitsu. Like I'm, I'm trying to get into MMA, let's say. That's like, holy fuck, man, that's a really long story. And it's almost like, 
I would probably be better off not really listening to anybody, just going to a, a, uh, some classes and just getting started and just like literally playing around with it for a while because the story's so long and it goes on for so many years. Now, somebody could say, hey, like, just go right to Kyle and like learn everything from him. But you're speaking a totally different language. I don't have any idea what you're talking about. Like when you're, you would, you know, if you were talking about certain things and obviously you coached a lot of people, so you know what you're doing. Uh, but it's almost like I need, I, I need to learn from myself. I need to go out and learn from myself. And I've found, I know that people get obsessed with programming and they get obsessed with certain things, but I've always found just following my intuition has been really, really useful. Now, I also have knowledge, you know, it's good to have knowledge with the intuition. So you're not making a, uh, you don't have a foolish hypothesis that you're going after, but I know what hurts. I know what, I know what can injure me in the gym. I know what exercise I can get away with. I know how many times my back can round over a particular way in certain exercises. And these are all just things that I started to learn over the years for myself. And so I think, you know, people just, they need to kind of put forward, what is the thing that you want to do? What is the goal that you have for it? Start to go and do it. Start to become knowledgeable about it. And if you find that you're really interested in it, start to really submerge yourself in. And that's that's when you would start to say, you know, I need a, I need a really good coach because I'm way in on this and I'm two years in and I think I can start to kind of speed this process up of me learning MMA. Yeah, that's a, that's a beautiful point. It's funny because when you were talking about that, I started recalling like what was my... You know, like when, when Van Damme gets the fucking salt thrown in his eyes in blood oh, sport yeah. and he goes blind and he's like, Aah! for 30 minutes, but he, he relives all of his training, you know, that, that yeah. moment just happened for me. And I was thinking about, you know, my first, I had already had three fights under my belt when I first got a striking coach, Vince Perez Mazzola, who's a you know, VPM, my boy out in, out in uh, Arizona, phenomenal coach, trained under Dan Nisanto, uh, under Bruce Lee, of course. A couple fights, a couple fights already before a striking coach. And so like that, that, like that. you know, and, and you could say like, was that the right move or not? Right. But I, I was like, I was hungry. I wanted to get my feet wet. Let me see if I can fucking win. Not purely on athleticism, even though that's what it was, athleticism and aggression. But like, if I'm going to, I'm not even going to, why would I waste my time training if I don't like it? Like if I can't win now, then I'm not going to put any effort into it. And, and some would say that was an issue because when I got to the UFC, I didn't have the skill set that I needed. You know, I had a great win streak and all the, the, the record, but I hadn't have the technique and all the things that I needed had I been training a long time before getting that first fight, right? Then I look at guys who have all the training in the world. Do you think you wanted to learn that technique? I didn't until I started winning fights. And then I was like, now I need it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? There were and, certain um, things I didn't want to learn, like powerlifting wise. Yeah. Like I was like, I don't I don't care if you think that's going to help me. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I had some of that in football. Little, yeah. Yeah. A little stubbornness almost, yeah. but like, I know what's good for me kind of thing. Yeah. Well, the, you know, the, the, what I was alluding to is that there were guys that had trained so long, you know, with a wrestling background, D1, uh, single A champions in NCAA and, you know, took their sweet ass time getting groomed before they went in and then they get punched in the face and they're like, oh man. I don't know. You know, that didn't, that fight didn't go well. I didn't take him. I didn't put him on his back in 30 seconds and pound him out the way I thought I was going to. So we yeah, it's a fight, you know, like fucking what the fuck you think it was, you know, and then Owen two, Owen three, and they're out the game. So I wasn't upset that I did it that way, but thinking back to VPM, one of the, the greatest things that he gave me was he slowed me way the fuck down. So I'm three and oh, I'm three fights in. And for the first two weeks, all I did was jab a piece of paper hanging off a string in his garage. It's like, cut the paper. 
you know, some old school shit. He's like, you don't get to move on until you master this. And that was fucking it. And my left arm, I couldn't even lift it up, you know, to raise my hand in class. Like it was that, that sore, but it gave me a jab that could knock people out. And, um, you know, because we pieced it together that slowly, by the time I was putting combinations together, every punch counted. And I know, you know, people listening to this would be like, oh, you're knocking anybody out in the UFC with a jab. It's like, okay, I get it. Um, but for me, the, the systematic approach, the slow approach like that, when I knew it was something I was into, was really important. And even though it was monotonous, like Mr. Miyagi shit, it really did matter long term. And now, you know, when I think about throwing punches and stuff like that, like I could not hit a bag for, for 10 months and go in and within one round, I've locked in that punch again because I have so many reps hitting that thing correctly. You know, and I think that's an important piece um, for people starting out is like actually grease the groove, right? That, that Pavel talks about, you know, with the practice of strength, the practice of endurance or the practice of mobility, you grease the groove in that position by spending time there. And that really does make a difference. I've been thinking about this a lot lately, just again, like going back to that uh, frequency thing and, and kind of building up and, and getting started. It's going to take a tremendous amount of time. And so whatever it is that you're working towards and working on, you may have to spend way more time on that than you would like, and you may have to be off balance for a while. And the single greatest determining factor of somebody being successful is one simple thing that gets like uh, passed up a lot for some reason. And that's just your interest level. You're either interested or you're not. Like, you know, if someone's against, you know, using fighting, because fighting is kind of like the ultimate uh, test of will, right? You know, using fighting as an example, like if when you were fighting, someone said, hey, you know, run up and down these stairs, you know, 50 times. And when you come down, you know, do 50 push-ups every time, you'd be like, you would be halfway up the stairs before they finished their sentence. Like, that's how you get in the UFC. You'd be like, you're, you're interested enough. Like, you want to do it. You're hungry enough for it. Um, I think sometimes in society, uh, people are trying to do what mom and dad wanted them to do. They're trying to go to college or they're... Uh, trying to go to a particular church, be a particular religion. Um, maybe somebody uh, is uh, is even trying to have a particular sexuality because they think that it's abnormal or whatever the, whatever they're going through. There's so many things that we're like tethered to and that we're tied to, uh, and we buy we bypass our natural instinct of this is what I like, this is what I love to do. What I would like a lot of folks to start to do too is people that are a little older is start to find like, what did you used to like to do? You know, people that are out of exercise, people that aren't moving around currently. Maybe you used to like ride your bike. Maybe you used to like to ride your skateboard. Maybe you used to like throw a football around. Well, who's to say that just because you don't play football anymore uh, on the varsity team or whatever, that you can't go out and like hurl a football around with your buddy. Or if you used to do some MMA that you can't go and punch and kick a bag, or even if you didn't, even if you didn't do it with much proficiency, if that's what you like to do, if that's your interest, then fucking go do it. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's so, so important, the interest. And like, that really was the end of my UFC career. The second fighting through, you know, and I couldn't sit, point to any one experience in particular, but through plant medicines, it just no longer became the most important thing in my life. And when it wasn't the most important thing in my life, I still had the idea, oh, let me actually fight one more time, you know, and then I went in and got slaughtered in my last fight, 
I mean, it was really bad. Do you feel that you were, um, when you were fighting that you were like, do you ever, have you ever felt like you were just a fighter or did you always feel like you were a little bit different and a little bit more than just that? Well, I mean, I never considered myself just a fighter because one of the things my dad had told me from a very young age, I started playing football at 10, was it's only going to be a short window and it won't seem like that when you're in it. But when you look back on the, on the scale of your life, that will be a very small window. And the older I got, the more I came to terms with that, especially when I was at ASU because I was sitting on the bench the whole time. You know, so like every game sitting on the bench, I'd get in for one play and, you know, I'm dead cold. Everyone's hot and I get my fucking bell rung on the one or two plays that I get to go in. It, it just became more and more clear that there was no next level. There wasn't, it wasn't going to, I wasn't going to go on after that. And that was the hardest pill to swallow. And then fighting was kind of like a second chance at life and being an athlete, you know, and it, it gave me all the camaraderie of football because I had Kane, I had DC, I had Luke, I had all these great guys at AKA to train with. I had Ryan Bader and the guys out in Arizona, you know, phenomenal guys that I, that I, I love to this day. So it gave me all the things that I was missing that I wasn't just getting in the gym. You know, I felt kind of like a rat on the wheel, just working out alone and doing shit like that compared to like, you know, you're lifting with big house. It's, right. it's, it's defensive line is playing fucking gangster rap or <laughs> offensive line is playing death metal. You know, like either way you're going to be fucking jacked, you know, like you're right. coming in there and sucking house and ooh, you're in fucking each ear. Go there, go oh, get great. it, Chris. You know, like that kind of thing. Like, and then to try to, to try to get that at 24 hour fitness, you know, it was comical by comparison. So fighting gave me that, but, um, you know, there, when it wasn't the most important thing, then it was like, I don't, there's just no reason to keep going there, you know? And I think about that now because it's, it's, it is different, right? Like, why am I doing this? Well, I, I'm not, I don't lift to get a PR. I don't lift to be, to push myself and see like, what is possible? Those days are done too. But I lift because I love it. And I lift heavy for me, heavy for me at 40s, different than it was when I was a Jesse. But I love that. I love pushing myself. And I love, you know, like, why do I hit the bag? Well, there's an, an odd chance that a strange fellow who doesn't have his neurochemistry organized would, would pick a fight with me and I'd need to defend myself or my family. Like a very slim to none chance. Maybe like, it'd be great to fight this six foot two, <laughs> six foot three, 5% body fat guy who's walking down the street. Yeah, still taking care of himself. So like in that odd chance, yeah, I could justify it. But I enjoy hitting the heavy bag. If I'm going to do cardio, that's something I love. Let me jump rope for a minute and do three minutes on the bag. I fucking love it keeps me mobile. You know, if, like I, we, I was throwing that funny ass kick earlier. Like <laughs> yeah. if I'm not mobile and I kick a bag like an old fart, then I know something's off because I greased the groove for so long with the right technique. Right. So then that's, that's a driving force that parlays into why I would do yoga or why I would mobilize myself with the super couch stretch. You know, like I, I have to do that so that I can meet the minimum standards with something that I've been accustomed to, even if I'm not going to fight again, even if I'm not going to PR again. And I do those things because they're fun. You know, and I think that that's an important, an important feel because not everyone listening to this loves weights like we do. Right. Right. And you, you had a completely different weight training career than I ever did. Right. But the passion is still there because we found something we love, you know, and I think that's an important piece for people is that it, it might be, I think like, um, Mark Sisson loves ultimate Frisbee. Yep. You know, like he loves ultimate Frisbee. That's his sprint workout. That's his hit workout. Uh, he's doing it with guys half his age and he's running circles around him. Like, that's fucking cool. Yeah. He has something he loves. He loves stand up paddleboarding. Like, it doesn't have to be a prescriptive thing. You know, it, it can be if you're looking for certain things aesthetically. You know, you're not going to get 
jacked and tanned. You might get tanned, but you're not going to get jacked doing stand-up paddleboard, right? So I understand that from a weight training perspective, but really, you know, what will provide you with consistency and the ability to show up each day over the years is that you, you actually enjoy the thing you're doing. Yeah. And I still love it. And I, the interesting thing is because I did it for so long and because I already put in a lot of the hours, uh, the bank account uh, on that pers- on that thing is built up, you know, so I don't have to, uh, <clears throat> I don't have to put in big deposits. I don't have to still have like, like income in that sense, in terms of hypertrophy, it's already there. All I have to do is enough work to stimulate it to the point where my body gets a message, gets a signal like, Hey, we still, still need to keep this. Um, <clears throat> it's probably, you know, my natural body weight, like quote unquote, natural body weight would probably be more like 210 or something like that. I'm like 235. So I have to push a bit, but I don't have to push that much. Um, when we went to on it today, I, I pushed a sled. I did some overhead presses with a kettlebell, um, nothing real heavy, but there's enough in there to where my body's like, yeah, like we're still pushing pretty good and you should stay about the same size. I'm not really trying to necessarily push to, uh, you know, get a lot bigger or to really break through plateaus. Um, for me at this point, I like to, I like to do like circuits in my training. And so if I did a circuit and it was heavy with low rest and I would probably get hurt. So that's why the weights are, are, are kept, uh, to a minimum. And then there's also a bunch of different goals going on simultaneously, which some people are like, well, you don't want to chase too many things at one time, but I've just kind of always liked to do that. <laughs> you have your 2% and your five most important things, right? right? Like I'm going to need a bit of endurance. Exactly. I'm going to need a bit of muscular uh, strength. I'm going to need a little bit of, of hypertrophy. You know, you start adding those up and there's your big five. And little things for me, like just pushing a kettlebell overhead. I'm like, I can just push it overhead and just get some shoulder work, but I can also like kind of twist and move my whole body and get it and turning it into a range of motion movement as well as a strength and conditioning uh, movement. And because I already have a kettlebell in my hands, I'm like, well, let me do some swings. So I did double arm swings. I did single arm swings. And then I just did random deadlift stuff with the kettlebell where I just had one foot in front of the other, like staggered stance. Because everything I did powerlifting wise was like bench, squat, deadlift, these real static uh, movements where everything's like stacked and packed a very particular way. And you only move a barbell for, you know, 12 to 16 inches or so. And the rest of your body, like the whole point in powerlifting or what you're trying to do is you're trying to tell your body to go fuck itself and that it's not going to move no matter what. Like you're going to stay as rigid as possible. Like I'm going to do this range of motion within the rules to get my squat passed or to do the bench press the right way or to lock a deadlift out the right way. And I do this movement. And yes, I have to move certain body parts, but the rest of me is going to stay as rigid as humanly possible. Well, now I'm trying to kind of unwind some of that rigidness because even when I go to run or just go to bend down to pick something up, uh, the way I move throughout the day is uh, indicative of what I practice for so long, where if I'm going to bend down to pick something up, what am I going to do? I'm going to hip hinge. Whereas somebody else, they might, they might crouch down, get down to one knee and, and like pick something up where they're not really using their back. I'm not saying one's necessarily better than the other. But which person is going to have better mobility? The person that squats down to talk to their child every time or the person that like, you know, bends over from like the hips all the time. Because I think a, a forgotten element of fitness 
for a while was frequency. But then the CrossFitters came through and blazed a trail and showed us something different. A lot of the Olympic lifters showed us something different with the amount of frequency that they put behind uh, even just squatting and doing cleans and snatches and stuff. So if you want to get good at something, uh, you it's a great idea to try to figure out a way to do it every day, whether it be squat bench or deadlift and might sound kind of crazy to do it every day. But don't forget, I said, figure out a way to be able to do it every day because obviously going 100% on it every single day wouldn't be advantageous. It just wouldn't be smart. Your luck is going to run out at some point. But also the other, the other question on that end is like how many people have even tried that? So you don't, we don't, we don't, we don't really truly know, but for, for most purposes, it would probably be wise to figure out, okay, I'm going to go really hard and heavy on this exercise for this particular day. And then, you know, maybe you, uh, you wrote, you rotate it, you rotate your bench when you go really hard on your bench, rotate when you go really hard on your squat, rotate when you go really hard on your deadlift, something like that. But you should be able to practice these movements nearly every day. Uh, this is stuff that I did for years and years and why I never really uh, followed anybody else's programming. I'm like, this is what I want to get good at. I know what the secret is. The secret is to hang out in these positions for as long as I can possibly tolerate. And this is going to make me better and fuck what everybody else has to say. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's time under tension, time in the cage, you know? Yeah. Right. That's how you, how you build up the experience there. Have you ever done one of the, um, the squat every day routines? I've done a lot of stuff like that, but I never followed like a specific routine because okay. I didn't, once the percentages are, first of all, I don't, I don't really love math, but secondly, uh, I'm not going to go off somebody else's percentages. I want to go off of how I feel, you know? So if I wanted to lift for the day and I squatted, you know, I did some box squats with 800 pounds or something like that the day before. Um, and the next day I put two plates on and I feel pretty dead. I'm just going to have to stick with two plates. I have to trust my intuition and say, let me try some higher reps or something. I don't know. Maybe I can get something out of doing three sets of like 30 reps or something, you know, and I'd have to kind of figure it out that way. But I just like would feel a lot of stuff out. There's a cool thing I did. I was, I read in uh, easy strength called uh, justice singles from Steve Justa, where you do, um, I think it's 70% of your one rep max, maybe less. And you do three singles. uh, What's, it's a single every minute on the minute mm-hmm. for three reps on Monday. Then Tuesday, it's five, then seven, then nine, then 11, then 13. And then I think, uh, I think that's six days, three, five, seven, nine, 11, 13, 15. Then on the, the following Monday, you add five to 10 pounds and you go back to three, but you do it every day and you do it for like eight to 10 weeks. Then you, you, take a deload day or two and then you, you test your, your uh, one rep max again and start back over again. <laughs> I did that for a while. I said, it's not uncommon to add like a hundred pounds to your deadlift. Obviously if you're not a seasoned lifter kind of yeah, thing, yeah, you know, but, right. but um, that was a cool thing. You know, it was, it was hard for me to figure out how to get strong in the other lifts while I had that much focus on deadlift, but it's something I love to do. So that was really cool. Um, something I thought a lot about now, and especially in talking to people is that the, the trade has to come from, uh, volume and intensity, you know, like as intensity increases, volume has to drop as volume increases, intensity has to drop. You can't have everything up all the time. The volume, the intensity, the frequency, you can't have it up all the, 
yeah. all of it up all the time. Yeah, that's a big one, especially if anybody that's like, oh, it's January. I'm going to fucking get back into it. And you're like, and you're going to be hurt in eight weeks. You well, know? that's why <laughs> when I'm saying that I, pr- I practice these movements every day, first of all, it probably wasn't every single day, but it probably was about five days a week. And when I practice them every day, what I mean is like, I might've got done with a long bench workout that it was like a real bench workout where I handled really heavy weights, did a bunch of stuff for triceps and worked on lockout and worked on timing and technique and so forth. And then when I was done with the workout, I'd just sit there and be like, Hmm, I wonder if I should try those other shoes for squats, or I wonder if I should try that other stance for squats, or I wonder, you know, I saw somebody else, you know, putting their belt a little higher. I wonder how that would feel for me. And the next thing you know, I would do, I would be squatting, but it wasn't like a full squat workout. It was just a, again, it was just a practice. So I think, you know, people that are looking to try to get, uh, not even stronger under a barbell, but just better. Cause that's another thing is I don't think I got any stronger when I power lifted. I think I just kept getting better. I, I, it's hard to like put that into words, but you probably know from like hitting people particular ways, like I've thrown harder punches, but your technique is better. Now you're just in a slightly different spot. Your timing is slightly different and you just took advantage of it. And when I would do a squat, even with something like a thousand pounds, when I would get to the bottom of the squat, you figure the bottom of the squat's the worst place to be. Like that's where you're like, oh fuck, I don't know about this. When I would get to the bottom of the squat, I was like, this is fucking awesome. This is what I've been training for. Like this fucking thing's going to come back up. And not only is it going to come back up, it's going to come back so, come, come up so fast that the audience is going to go, ah, oh. they're going to be like, what the fuck was that? And I was able to do that many times, but it was because I got myself comfortable in those spots and because I trained myself to be rigid in those spots. And there was a lot of uh, practice that went into it. That makes me think we were uh, talking a little bit about Paul Anderson, you know, and walking around, he had, he had a famously known for, you know, pre-steroid era. I think he was only five, nine, but 300 pounds plus. Yep. Um, had a squat rack at his house and one at his barn, like a quarter mile. The old Anderson away. squat. You know, and he'd, 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 you know, do a set at his house. He'd sip his fucking uh, mason jar or glass jar full of fresh raw milk. And he'd just go for a nice slow walk in between sets down to the barn, hit a set there, come back, you know, just taking his sweet ass time, 20, 30 minutes between sets. And, um, but he was famous for, you know, quarter reps, three quarter reps, hanging out in the bottom of the position. Um, you know, overloading the bar for deadlift and not even pulling it off the ground, but just going as hard as he could on something mm-hmm. that was, that was, uh, like isometric. Yeah. 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 And, um, and I think about those, I mean, obviously a guy that was way, way ahead of his time, Oh yeah. but being comfortable in the bottom of the squat, right. That's such an important piece to have. Like it's such an important piece. And I think a lot of the, the things from a MMA standpoint or just a movement standpoint that I learned from Paul check have been like, you're, you, you know, the bench press is good for pressing, but it's not how you move in, in a fight, right? Mm-hmm. So like what he does on a cable machine where he'll get in a split leg stance and counter one hand with it and then row back like this, but he's twisting. He's cheating in bodybuilding because he's not trying to isolate one muscle group, but he's rotating, right? right? Which is a natural primal movement. And the same thing for the punch. He'll rotate through that thing, get his shoulder up to his ear like you would when you punch in a fight. And, and that to me is stuff that's like, oh yeah, that's how I do it in real life. And even though my punching speed is going to be significantly different than how I push a cable out or press a cable or pull a cable, uh, it's still training that movement pattern where mm-hmm. I'm actually pushing, generating from the ball of my foot up through the hips, twisting as I rotate and push through. And I think those are, those have been some pretty, 
important exercises that I've added to my arsenal after the fight game, you know? There's uh, so many aspects of strength, you know? Like, you, if you go... I heard somebody say this uh, just, a, just a, maybe a day or two ago. It said something to the effect of, like, if you were to try to... So, if a gymnastics person tried to emulate anything that you did, they would be able to do it really, really well. And probably, in a lot of ways, do it a lot better than you. Almost any athletic movement you can think of. Now, of course, there's certain things like punching and like jujitsu is like not intuitive. So there would be things where they would, they would need a lot of explanation to be able to figure those things out. But even with something like jujitsu, they're going to be proficient at being able to move really well. Their bodies just move really well. And so it's an interesting thing because in gymnastics, some of the movements that they do, you know, if you or I tried to do them, we like blow out a shoulder or something could be something really simple, like a muscle up that everyone goes so crazy about. The muscle up is just the start of a, of a men's gymnastics, uh, uh, them doing the rings event. That's just the start. Like that's, and so like in CrossFit, they go crazy about that movement. Everyone's talking about like, I did a muscle up and, it's, <laughs> and it is amazing. It's amazing to be able to do one, but in gymnastics, they do them all the time. They do them every day. It's a, it's very routine. So I wish when I was younger, I wish that I just sort, I guess if I knew, I probably wouldn't have dove into powerlifting as far as I did. So that might not have been great, <laughs> but uh, I wish I kind of knew more about the other types of strength because there's so many things that are admirable. I always dug it. I always liked it. I always thought it was cool that people did like bodybuilding and Olympic lifting. Uh, I just personally didn't have any interest in any of it. I didn't under, I didn't know or understand a lot of the rotational stuff that you're talking about. I've always been a huge fan of Paul, Paul Check, but I also never really knew what he was talking about. I remember actually reading one of his articles and he said that he would love to be able to run the same 40-yard dash that he does at like whatever age he was when he wrote the article, 50 or 40. It's a long time ago that he did in high school. And I was just thinking like, what a pussy. Like, <laughs> why, why wouldn't he run a one faster? But I was, cause I was a kid when I was reading it, uh -huh. you know what I mean? I, so I didn't know. Now it's like, fuck man, that actually, that makes a, a tons of sense. And talk about all these people trying to figure out longevity and all these different things. And it's like, if you could just sprint, you can just go out and sprint to full capacity. You know, think about it right now. If you're listening to this show, can you go out right now? Can you go outside right now and sprint to full capacity? If you can't, then something's probably a little off. Like I can't do it. Like, but I'm work. I'm trying to work towards it. I'm trying to find that. I'm working on like jumping and bounding and a bunch of stuff just to try to figure out how to gain some of that back. But again, back to what I said about frequency, like with your son or with your daughter, they, they're going to, I mean, they usually stop doing it when they're like 10, but they're, they get out of the car and they like, they run to everything. Right. Especially your daughter being like oh, yeah. two and like bouncing around Full and on. jumping always like using her calves and her feet. And she's like a little, a little bunny, right? Ballerina. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cruising around like that all the time. And so when you're a kid, it's not hard to have access to that because you practice it all the time. But as we get older, uh, we lose it because we don't use it. Yeah. That's a big one. I forget. I think it was, I mean, uh, Dr. Andy Galpin talks a lot about, you know, like the different things that, that are, um, prerequisites for like mortality and things like that when it comes to aspects of strength, right? Hip mobility being one. So can you get to the ground? How easy is it for you to get all the way to the ground and then back up off the ground? You know, and for a lot of people, they don't ever do that. Their right. bed is raised. They've got the fucking, the door in the bathtub with a seat in it, you know, the car, right, right. all these things that they're never actually getting all the way down to the floor. 
and you know, having been in the house before, like everything we have is on the floor. Mm-hmm. And I can thank Aaron Alexander for that, but we've got, you know, hundred square feet of MMA mats with a carpet over it or a rug over it. Our couches are deconstructed. They're on the ground. Uh, a lot of our beds are Japanese style. It's just the mattress. You know, there's no, there's no right. box spring even. If there is a box spring, it's not on like a, a, a nice wooden bed post. You know, it's just on the box spring and the mattress on the ground. And, um, that, you know, that's great for our little dog. So he's not jumping, ruining his elbows, but it's also great for us. And then that's an invitation for us to get down. He also talked about grip strength being a huge one. If your grip strength is a certain level, then that represents, you know, it's a good gauge of your overall body strength, right? How strong your grip is. And then lastly, it's, it's your, there was a way for it. It's kind of like the bounce or the spring, right? So it's basically around plyometrics. Do you have any bounce or spring in your Achilles and your knees and your hips? If you do, the odds of you busting your hip falling down are, are, you know, they're pretty much gone. Right. Because you still have bounce. You still have engaged that. And if you have bounce, odds are you don't have osteoporosis. Odds are you've got some bone density still, right? Because even without weight training, that, that spring and reload is going to create an impetus for your bones to stick around. And so you won't lose them. And I think about things like that because when, you know, when I was fighting, one of the cool things I got to do with Victor Conti was he set me up with Remy Korchemny who had trained, you know, a whole host of awesome Olympians. And Remy was having us do a lot of really cool plyometric stuff um, with bands where we would, we'd walk the band out so you couldn't fucking run any, we couldn't walk any further. Then we'd have to sprint 10 yards, let it yank us back, do it again, 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 again. We get six reps like that. Then we'd have to side shuffle six and then flip around, side shuffle six, then backpedal six. That was one set. We did multiple sets like that. That's really, really smart. So, Keep in mind what I just said about sprints. You can sprint with almost any part of your body with bands and most likely not get hurt. I mean, you can get hurt doing anything, so be cautious. But you can grab bands and you can pull them as fast as you possibly want to or as fast as you possibly can, and you won't get hurt. It's an interesting thing because the bands, you know, Louis Simmons was so great with uh, understanding that the bands uh, help to um, kind of kind of slow you down enough to almost like running a hill. Like if you go and sprint a hill, a lot of people will have a capacity to sprint a hill because the hill will slow you down enough to where you won't hurt yourself. And the bands almost seem to do something similar where the resistance is matching uh, and it's also like the bands are the bands are lengthening as your muscles are contracting and shortening. And it seems to just go along with your natural strength curve in some weird way. Whereas weights are really interesting because they kind of can't be lifted that fast. Uh, when you do like a squat, you can like dive bomb a squat and you can like bounce off your calves and stuff like that. But I think most of us are kind of smart enough to say like, I, I don't really think that that's a great idea. Like that doesn't really My look, knees don't like that. Just looking at it. It doesn't really look super <laughs> yeah. safe, yeah. you know, but like box jumping and even jumping down from boxes and doing certain movements like that. You're like, well, yeah, we, as a human, we should have some of those capacities. Like, I don't know how far you want to you know, take those things. But just getting back to the bands, like the ba- bands are fantastic. Whatever way you can figure out how to train with bands, I think you should do it. I like that. It makes me want to run back some deadlifts with bands. Do you typically use a thinner band or a thicker band? And, you know, like, are you going, because with the weights you're using is obviously fucking most people aren't going to be able to coordinate any correlation to that. But in your experience and knowing how Louis trained and guys like that, uh, was it more important to go lighter with a thicker band? Or was it more important to go heavier with a thinner band? I think for most people listening, you know, I, I would just experiment a little bit and find what what feels good. Um, Louis was a pretty big proponent of 
very aggressive, like amounts of band tension. But I would say, first of all, just, you know, just train with some bands just without the weights at first, just mess around with that a little bit. Uh, like dude, like banded tricep pushdowns, banded good mornings. You're going to find, you're going to be able to do those with a lot of proficiency, a lot of snap, a lot of pop without hurting yourself. Um, even some curls with bands. You can even put bands like, um, in a, uh, in a rack. What I usually do is I, I'll hook them to J hooks. And so the band is running like sideways, um, and like, you know, parallel to the floor and I'll get myself in a position in there and I'll just press out. Phil DeRue does this a lot. Cal Dietz does this a lot. You can, you can also put your foot up on the band and you can press down as hard as you want, as fast as you want. This is all like great drills. So like that'd be like a lot of ass hamstring. Yeah. What you'd use as your kick when it, you're sprinting. Yeah, exactly. And you can do a lot of this stuff. Again, you can do it very freely without anything hurting. You could take a light band, which is like one of those orange bands that elite FTS sells. You can kind of just uh, put that around your back and then you can kind of throw punches. And again, you can move. You actually will find that you'll move way faster with the bands than you would without the bands because your body, I mean, maybe for you it'd be different with your history, but for most people, like their body will slow their arm down so that it doesn't get, yep. so it doesn't get hurt. Yeah. You know, it's like, I don't want to hyperextend the elbow. Yeah. I don't want to throw this wrong. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to throw this so hard or so fast. So bands are a really good place to start. And if somebody wanted to add them to a barbell, I would say go with the lighter bands first. Uh, because the thicker bands are just, it, it's excessive. It's just, it's a, it's, it's a lot. I like that. Yeah. That's got me, that's got me thinking a lot. Um, why not? You know, why not? Like, so bands and chains, I would encourage all people to use bands and like when, when appropriate, when you can, whenever you have an opportunity to try to find, uh, an opportunity to use some bands or to use some chains. If you're at a great gym, like on it, they have both those options there. Super training gym has stuff like that. Um, the bands and the chains accommodate resistance and the weights are lighter at the bottom. They're heavier at the top. Remember what we said in the beginning about the bottom of the squat being like the most miserable spot, right? The bottom of a bench press is the most miserable spot. It can even make an argument that like, we should just like ban bench pressing, <laughs> even though I love it. And even though I made a lot of money off it with my product, uh, the reason I made a lot of money with my product is because a bench press is kind of a dumb exercise. You're laying down on your back. You got both your elbows pinned way back behind the midline of your body with, you know, sometimes double body weight. It's just, it just does exercise. doesn't make a lot of sense. It's not a, uh, it's not a very natural movement. Um, but anyway, the bands and the chains, they accommodate resistance. Weights are lighter at the bottom and they get heavier at the top. So as you go to squat down, there's less and less band tension or less and less chain weight on the bar. And so if you had, you know, let's say, say you had a hundred pounds on the, on the bar, and then you have a hundred pounds of band tension. When you get to the bottom of the lift, you only have approximately about a hundred pounds of bar weight because you just have that bar weight on and the band has maybe like zeroed out or the band's only 50 pounds now. So you go from either a hundred pounds at the bottom to 150 ish to about 200 pounds at the top. And that can help a ton with acceleration. So some people, uh, some people just have it. Some people are just super explosive. Uh, Jeremy Avila Jeremy or something Avila. like that, yeah, right? Dude. Boom. You're like, holy, <laughs> like, could you imagine like how nasty it would be if that guy got into MMA years <laughs> ago? You'd be like, Coach House and I were watching him uh, one of the days that, yeah, I think the the Panthers were playing the Niners and him and Uwe came to, to Burdick's spot and Avila was dicking around and, and whoever had just used the 800 pounds before him, you know, didn't set it down in the, in the middle. 
So he grabbed the fucking thing, double overhand, and went, ah! and fucking yanked it back into the middle, like, like that. And, and, and he, it was just so explosive and so fast. And House looks at me, and he's like, Kingsbury, if that doesn't get you dick hard, nothing will. <laughs> I was like, fuck. It was so great. I was like, Jesus Christ, this guy just fucking ragdolled 800 pounds before deadlifting it like it was a paperweight. And Jeremy, he probably didn't even... He didn't even know, right? Yeah. Like he didn't even. He was not even aware. Yeah, he wasn't even. Wasn't even burning strength before his pull. Right? right. It was just like, let me get this set up right. You know, That's some real savage stuff. But the bands and chains can help you tap into some of that. I mean, again, there's some people naturally that just have an explosiveness that almost can't be explained. But it's great for people to really be able to work on that. Well, one of the things that this is making me think of. Um, depth jumps, you know, and that's something that, uh, Virga Chansky and, um, who's the other guy? Sif. They talk about in super training, which is a, it's a goddamn textbook. You yeah. Know? Like it's a very hard read unless you're really into it. But one of the, the things that I drew from that, and I got the book after Pavla talked about it was that, you know, plyometric is the rebound. It's not, if you're doing a box jump where you jump from the ground to the top of the box and then slowly step back down, that's not actually plyometric. The true plyometric is the rebound. It's coming off of a box down to the ground and back up to another one. And that, like you said, that should vary in height based on how much experience you have and how strong you are. Um, they both recommended that you don't even do it till you've got a dub, you know, double your body weight back squat, right? Which, which would 86, most of the people listening <laughs> to this. Right. Um, I was close to that when I was getting ready for my ultra. But one of the things they say, and, and Kelly had talked a bit about this, was like when you bulletproof your Achilles, through something simple like jumping rope mm -hmm. up to something like depth jumps, the odds of yourself getting hurt in a long run where you're, you're the volume is just, you know, astronomical. It's not intense, but the volume is going to kill you. Um, I was surprised. I mean, I was 235 pounds when I ran that race. I didn't get hurt. And I, I really credit it to ready to run by Kelly, but also to the depth jumps. And that's something that I've been really circling back into because post fighting, you know, I lift because I love it. I'll go run a little bit with my kids because I love it and my wife's into it. Um, there's, there's a lot of things that I can do for movement and fitness that I really enjoy. And it doesn't take me putting much planning into it. It's just like, oh, I'm going to warm up with the kettlebell and go for a quick run. I'll see you guys in 30 minutes, you know, no big deal. Um, but that kind of stuff, that's some training that I've been really like trying to circle back to just because of the gulping stuff, you know, like, all right, grip. I'm going to, I'm going to do some farmer's carries. I got two 48 kilo kettlebells that really are only good for that. Let me walk these around the pickleball court, that kind of thing. Yeah. And then um, if I'm covering grip there and, and full body strength down to the feet, hitting some death jumps, I think is really good because of that rebound effect. You uh, jump ropes and, you know, jumping rope is amazing. Uh, jumping rope, if some people have the capacity to go out for just a run or a jog, it might achieve something similar. Um, but I think, you know, with like things like a 10 minute walk, things like jumping rope, it's like, it's just good to, uh, in your mind to think about how do I do jumping rope for other body parts? How do I do the equivalent of a 10 minute walk for certain body parts? Just so I'm getting my basis of fitness covered every day. Cause I think a 10 minute walk is something really easy for people to adopt. And I usually recommend people do, do uh, two or three every day, try to get out, get some sunlight. I actually have a feeling that sunlight alone would help change a lot of people's metabolism. Never mind just the walk. Um, but that combination can be, can be really useful. But if you think about something like a jump rope, again, what is it doing? Is it giving you tons of frequency? When you push or pull a sled, it gives you tons and tons of frequency. 
if I told you like, Kyle, yeah, man, I've been doing like, I, you know, we're on the phone and I'm like, yeah, man, I've been doing, I do 10,000 reps for my left leg and 10,000 reps for my right leg. You'd like go to the gym and you would try, you know, 10,000 reps for both legs. And you'd be like, dude, I, I couldn't walk for a month. Like, <laughs> oh, I, I actually did that with a sled. I meant that I pushed a sled, you know, I pushed it basically a mile forward and I walked it backwards a mile. And that's where I got my reps in. That too might fucking have me sore for a <laughs> yeah, month. Yeah, maybe that's <laughs> a mile on the sled. Yeah, maybe that's forward and backwards. <laughs> maybe that maybe that's excessive. <laughs> uh, but you kind of get the point of like some of these movements. They lend themselves to be really user friendly to where you can use them a lot. And something like a jump rope, it's like if that's building up your Achilles. And you were talking earlier about people not squatting. You know, it's very rare for somebody to get their hip crease below their knee throughout the day. Like you're not going to do it when you take a shit. You're not going to do it when you sit on your couch. You're not going to do it. I mean, unless you have specifically a low couch, a low bed, some of these things, then you might get to some of those positions, but most likely you're not going to get into any of those positions. And if you're not someone that practices any sort of fitness ever, then you're never getting in those positions. So those muscles and those ligaments and tendons uh, over time, they're going to get tighter and tighter. And it's going to be very difficult for you to be proficient in any of that. And then you also have like the spine, like people don't really think about the lower back, but I mean, some guys will go in the gym, they'll do some deadlifts and they do five to five deadlifts. You know, they do 25 reps of deadlifting on top of maybe some of the repetitions they did with uh, their warm up. Maybe they did a hundred reps for the day. That's still not really that much. You know, I think about like my day, like with running and, and some of the different things I'm doing, uh, podcasting where I'm on my feet a lot or somebody else that might be you know, a waiter or waitress or something like that. And their, their backs get really tight throughout the day. It's like, I kind of just wonder that, do they have an opportunity to stop and think about, let me just do some hip hinging. You know, they probably, they probably not, aren't thinking about it. Right. Uh, let me just, you know, bend down towards my toes a handful of times. Now that'll probably hurt. It probably won't feel good because your back is used to being, uh, in the position that it's in for the day. So your back is like, Hey, like we're, we're hanging out here. Like anybody that's run, like if you run a few miles and if you just stop for a second and try to move your body, like, I don't know about you, but like my body gets really tight. My body's like, no, 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 we're, we're only moving this way. We're only running. <laughs> we're not doing anything else. So I've actually periodically been stopping myself, uh, when I'm running about every half mile just to get down and do some pushups. So that way I'm not like stiffening up as much, but I think just in your head, I think it's good to just think about all the different joints we have. You got your wrist. You know, we got our hands, we got our feet, got our ankles. It's a lot to think about and it can be super annoying. But as long as you're getting to these things, the joints of the shoulders, like some shoulder swings, just, you know, um, old school, like calisthenics, as dumb as I used to think all that stuff was, I'm like, that stuff is dope. Like, that's really good. That's, that is some really, really good training. And if somebody did that uh, as a daily routine and they mainly only focused on that, I'm sure they they would have, uh, pretty healthy joints and they'd probably actually move around pretty good. Yeah. You're, you're, you're keeping everything lubricated. You're getting blood flow oxygen to there, the key nutrients, and you're still putting it through a different range of motion. You know, like if you haven't done jumping jacks in a while, I remember doing that with my kids and it was after like some heavy pressing and shit like that. And I hadn't really opened back up and I was like, Oh fuck, man. I can't even get my arms overhead. Like this feels, Oh God, that's nice and tight. Yeah, I probably need to get back on the band. Maybe just hang on a bar for a minute here before yeah. I start doing jumping jacks. You know, it's like little things like that. And it's like, cool. I mean, I'm training, I'm training in a certain way for particular reasons and I can't leave that stuff out. Mm. 
you know, I can't leave that stuff out because eventually that's where you get bit. What you doing with your food nowadays? You know, I've oscillated. I had, um, I was telling you a bit in the car about doing the, uh, fasting mimicking diet with a smaller group in fit for service, call it full temple reset. And, uh, Godzi teaches a whole bunch of stuff on dream interpretation and, and, uh, psychology. And we, we piece together a whole lot of stuff and, and talk a lot about Paul Check's principles, the last four doctors you'll ever need. And, um, cue everybody up with a ton of information, take them through a lot of the mobility stuff from Kelly Sturette and Aaron Alexander. And it's been great. One thing I noticed, because the last time I did a fast was in 2018. And the first time I got a CGM on, I was like, damn, I look pre-diabetic. You know, like there's a lot of foods that are fucking me up where I'd get like a 160 to a 180, you know, blood sugar level, which is no good at all for inflammation, you weight gain. You weren't normally eating a lot of carbs, right? Right. Yeah. And then, and the thing is, like, if I'm going to go to, you know, a Thai restaurant or something like that, like, I'm going to eat, fuck, I'm going to eat the carbs. I'm going to eat them all. I'm going to have pad thai. I'm going to have curry with a fat plate of white rice underneath, those kind of things. So what I did was I ran a CGM back after this first um, fasting mimicking diet in January, and it completely reset my metabolism. It's all the shit that Dr. Walter Longo talked about. And then I thought, let me see if I can eat like a fat kid, you know, like within reason, still organic food. I'm not putting poison in my body, but Knowing I was, I was actually going to train hypertrophy and actually um, eat for size for the first time since I played football at ASU. And it was crazy because I couldn't really get above 232, 234. And, um, but my blood sugar looked great. You know, I'm eating three almond butter and jelly sandwiches on sourdough with a grass-fed burger wedged in between one of those sandwiches. Nice. Phenomenal meals. Blood sugar is a 123. I was like, you got to be kidding me, right? So I was like, just that. And supposedly through his science, that lasts six to 12 months. So if you do this twice a year, you should be good, you know, but that, that was like one of the biggest takeaways. Cause I was, you know, I'm already a healthy guy. I, I practiced the board doctors. I got routine blood work. Everything looks great. I feel great more importantly than the blood work. And then to see that dramatic of a shift on all things on the blood panel from systemic inflammation to liver and kidney function, to blood, everything improves. And then on top of that, um, carbohydrate metabolism just went through the roof. Right. So it was like my body learned, relearned how to utilize it by taking a small break. And uh, we just ran the second one back. I got another CGM. Um, and I'm not going to try to gain weight now or any of that shit. Now I actually am going to try to get lean and, and, you know, I'm not quite 5%, but I'll see if I can get there. I got the leg veins coming back, baby, but we'll see. You know, any idea what percentage you are? You look, you look incredibly no, lean. No idea. I feel good. But, you know, um, I remember you sent me a photo. Uh, where you were pinching kind of like the back, the, mm -hmm. the, the low back, back you know, chub, yep. the back chub. And you're like, see, I'm lean here, but I could grab this. And then a year later you could barely, it was just like skin. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so right now I look like that first picture. Like I can pinch a little bit there. I still got abs and all that, but, uh, I want to get it to like the second picture, you know, and nothing crazy. It, it may not be even close to 5%. It may be 8%, but I imagine I'm somewhere around 10 right now. Right. And I feel good. You want to but feel good and lift good and stuff. I want to lift good still. I want to recover from workouts. Um, you know, hump good. One of the things we hump good for sure. Yeah. Check says that a lot. And I was teaching that to the kids. Yeah. Here. Sometimes if you diet too much, you're not humping so good. Libido, libido <laughs> isn't just sex drive. It's life force energy. And if you're trying to fast as well as train hard and do MMA or any of these other things, like you, you can't burn the candle at both ends. Right. 
So always with that as a rule of thumb, am I waking up hard? Do I desire my wife? Am I, am I ready to go? Do I have a zest for life? Do I have energy for all the things that I'm doing on the farm with the kids, with the podcast and fit for service? If all of that's in order, then I can continue to incrementally increase what I'm doing. And, um, you know, for me right now, that means like on a heavy lifting day, I'll eat carbs that day on, on days when I'm not lifting heavy, I don't really need them. You know, I've got some ketones from HVMN. I'll have that with a bulletproof coffee in the morning and uh, I'll wait till lunch to have, you know, moderate carbohydrate lunch, but mostly protein and fat. Same thing with dinner then without carbs. Uh, if my wife cooks yams or something like that, yeah, I'll have a fucking yam. But like, there's really, it's just kind of, kind of playing in those realms of making sure that I'm recovered enough and still topped off on glycogen. So when I want to go, I can go. Um, but really being able to utilize both systems for fuel, you know? So if I am like, you know, when you take a ketone drink, whether it's HVMM or not, if you're in ketosis, you fucking know that thing's working. Like it works way better than when you're not keto adapted. And right now I am keto adapted, even though I'm still having moderate carbohydrates from time to time. And I think, you know, having that balance is something that I'm really trying to play with where I get to have my cake and eat it too, in a sense. Uh, and I also get to, you know, really maximize the benefit of ketones when I want to, um, you know, grind endurance wise, or I've got a big podcast or I need it as a nootropic. Cause it's a hell of a nootropic when you're using it right. You know, I think you're, uh, you're hitting your stride with your physique and I don't really know if there's any reason to, I don't know if there's any reason to change anything unless you feel like you're in too much of a caloric surplus or something like you feel like you're eating too much at the moment. No, no. I mean, it's just the, 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 for, for probably eight to 10 weeks, I was eating a caloric surplus. So just letting that come back into its natural state, right, you know, right. over the next eight to 12 weeks, I think will be plenty. I'm not going to do another fast until January next year. So, you know, it makes sense to find some happy medium throughout the course of the year, you know, and then of course, as winter comes, you know, and, and carbohydrates were less seasonally available. I what is be, your, uh, what is your wife like? Does she care either way? She she's, is, you know, she's done different things. She's, she's experimented with all this stuff with me. Um, but does she care? Like, does she like you fluffier? Does she like you leaner? Does she? She thinks I'm she, hot year round. She don't care. Know? No, I mean she will poke fun if I get a little chubby. But I. Uh, you she know, just pokes more fun if I'm eating like a fat kid. Yeah. You know, like what are you doing? You just ate a whole loaf of sourdough. Like, what's wrong with you? You know, and I'm like, what? It's for science. I got the CGM. Get it's off for me. science. It's for science. <laughs> I got to teach people about we're this. Running, we're running. <laughs> we're running a study. It's a n equals one fat kid study. Get off me. Yeah, with me, I, more recently, I just been having a lot of uh, dairy. Like I brought in like a lot of raw dairy, and I was like, let me just kind of like mess around, and just kind of see what happens when I don't care about calories and I don't care about. I mean, I don't really concentrate on calories anyway. I don't like measure them or anything, but I do fast often and all that stuff. Let me just get away from all that for a bit, and just bam, I just put on like ten pounds. My wife's like, I like you way better like this. I'm like, oh great. I'm like, now, next thing you know, I'm going to be like 270 again. (laughs) She's like, well, don't go, so they don't go that far, you know? But so, yeah, it's, it's amazing what happens. And I know that you feel this too. It's amazing what happens when you have a lot of nutrient density in in your, in your food. Now, I'm not just talking about like macronutrients because we could just eat pizza and be like, yeah, we got macro, we got a, a lot of nutrients. But I'm just talking about kind of having all your bases covered. Like I've, I've gone as far to eat uh, liver and utilize some supplements and stuff that have organ, uh, organs in them and stuff like that more recently, but like raw honey, raw milk, raw, heavy cream, uh, yogurt, like all just, just a 
plethora of these different things. It's like I'm eating that throughout the whole day along with like grass-fed beef, um, steaks, all that kind of stuff. And I've, I have to like talk myself into eating or I just have to like feel like eating because I'm bored. But I'm really not that hungry. Yeah. Because I'm, I have like uh, such nutrient-rich foods. And, and that now when it comes to like cravings and stuff, like just like anybody else, I always have, you know, some bouts of cravings and stuff like that. But I'm like, nah, I don't really want that. I, I actually am just craving the healthier foods more and more. Yeah. And that's something, you know, Paul Check was famous for talking about that early on. And, and Saladino, uh, the carnivore doc, really proposed this, that, that, you know, I think Paul put it like, if an obese person can't stop eating because they're still hungry for the things their body actually needs. Yeah. And they're not finding it in the foods that they're eating, right? So they they can't stop eating the thing because- They're nutrient they're, deficient. They're looking for micronutrients, right? Yeah. Vitamins and minerals. And and if you dive into what Saladino and, and a lot of the people behind the ancestral movement are talking about is that there's there are very few things on a pound for pound level that carry the amount of micronutrients than liver or organs in general, kidneys, things like that. Um, something that, you know, my whole family has been on is, um, the beef liverwurst from grasslandbeef.com. Not a sponsor. I don't have a discount code. I fucking wish I did. I spend probably at least 500 bucks a month. Every Stuff other probably month tastes there. pretty good too, right? right? Well, what's great about it is it's 20% liver, 20% kidney, 10% heart, 50% beef trim. It's pre-seasoned and salted and pre-cooked. So mm. it comes medium rare. And, um, you can cut it up cold and eat it. You can throw it on a cracker if you like crackers and you're yeah. in that shit, but we slice medallions, we fry it, we do some eggs and that's breakfast. That's been breakfast for eons. You know, sometimes nice. we'll do the head cheese, which is I think tongue and heart and beef trim. Um, it allows us to get a variety of things that taste good. Cause that's the other thing, right? Like if you don't enjoy the training, you're not going to do it. If you don't enjoy your fucking food, Good luck sticking with it. Right. You know, like you have to make good food taste good. Oh, I love my Or food. it ain't going to happen, right? And I think that that to me, you know, having tried the full plethora and the full gamut of all the organs, I, we had a running joke. Anytime we'd bump into a Saladino at a party, he'd always have a Pyrex full of like Rocky Mountain oysters yeah. or fucking spleen or thymus. You know, like, oh, you want to try some of this? And we're like, all right, Paul, let's do it. You know, and we try it. And I'm like, yeah, I know it's good for me. But it's slimy and it's fucking yeah. hard to chew and it's fucking weird, dude. Like, like this is the way for me, you know, and it's probably not as good because it's not raw, right, right. but it's still pretty fucking good. It right? still works. It, the heme iron's still there. The vitamin A, the, right. the, the fat soluble vitamin A, not beta carotene, that's still in there. All the things that I need are still in there. And, um, you know, if, if my one-year-old will eat it, then it, I know it's working, right? right? I know it's good. If, if it's good enough for her, then it's good enough for me from a flavor standpoint. And it certainly is good enough on a, on a micronutrient standpoint. And really, you know, like if my kids don't finish their food, but they've eaten two ounces of that, right? they're good. They don't need to eat anymore. You know, I know the bases are covered there and, and you know, that every one of us are, you know, really healthy and, and really robust immune systems and kids get sick all the time. But all those kids, my kids recover yeah. super quick. You know, never needed antibiotics yet. Knock on wood. We'll save that for the big one. Um, and, uh, you know, no Tylenol, none of that shit yet either. So, I mean, they're doing really good. That's just great. having the good, the, all the right substances on hand for their body to fight stuff off naturally. And I think that's important. I also have been liking uh, bone marrow a lot. That yeah. shit is really good. Yeah. I actually just take some bone marrow and I just, it's like already quartered and I just stick it in the pan and just put it like face down. <laughs> 
And it's just like butter. I mean, mm-hmm. it's fucking unbelievable. That's ridiculous. There's a, a restaurant in Austin for everyone listening. I know we got a lot of people from Austin listening. But if you visit here, the other, the other, you know, the top three listeners are uh, L.A., New York City, and Austin. Hopefully, the people in L.A. and New York aren't mad at me for the last two years of conversations that I've had. But um, a lot of y'all have moved here, so maybe that that has been a, a welcome sign. Um, point is, any of y'all, if you're ever in Austin, Red Ash in downtown Austin is fucking phenomenal and they do liver pate they also oh, wow. do bone marrow and they've got a fresh homemade like thick um, buttered and olive oiled and grilled uh, sourdough that you just scrape the damn bone marrow out onto this thing oh, and lather it up and oh my god like that is heaven the appetizers are heaven <sighs> the steak is heaven it's, it's my, my favorite restaurant by far it sounds incredible you've so have you had uh, raw liver before Yep. And it's too gnarly. It's I don't think it's too gnarly. It's just not the way I do it on a daily. Yeah. Kidneys are too gnarly. It tastes like you're like you're eating piss. Yeah. Kidneys like I could are taste really piss and kidneys. Like I yeah. it's, I do taste it, you know, and um it's got a bite to it. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. there's like a weird spicy I, bite to it. What I like, did, am I supposed to eat this? I don't know. <laughs> what I did recently is I kind of just took it like uh J.M. Blakely's uh <laughs> when he was talking about his diet years ago where he paced back and forth and he was like, I have to eat this pizza to get bigger. <laughs> <laughs> so I just do that with liver. I just I eat it every morning. I just wake up and it's cold in the fridge. I just start to eat. My wife's like, You are so gross. She's like, I don't know what you're doing, but I was like, ah, I don't know. I just decided I'm gonna do it for a couple weeks and kind of see how it feels. And so far I like it. So it's like, it's as crazy as it sounds. It only took like about three days and I'm like, I'm kind of over, over the taste. And I just throw some, uh, there's some seasoning on there. That helps a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Sea salt's good. I mean, uh, sea salt's, sea salt's really good. I also like like the pairing with raw milk. Like that seems to work for like the cold raw liver and the cold raw organ meat, like uh, the dairy I always like. And, um, you know, one of the things to address on dairy too is that it's not just a raw thing, but if it's from a Holstein cow, black and white cow, that can cause some of the issues that people experience that they associate with lactose intolerance. Mm. Uh, an interesting thing, I had gum surgery because I'm going to get braces again. I'll be a 40-year-old fucking dude with braces and then they're going to do veneers, but that's going to add width and depth, which will improve my airway, improve my nose, improve my jaw, ultimately my neck. And uh, systemically, you know, from this top of the, the wormhole down uh, should systemically affect my musculature and my nervous system positively because I you know broke my jaw when I was eight on my 18th birthday and since then had a full football career and fight career where I'm biting hard and powerlifting and all those things, right? So fixing that's important, but they had to lower my gums to do that. They had to add some. And um, with that, they put me on antibiotics to make sure that the gum tissue would take and I haven't taken antibiotics in years. And what I noticed, because we, we got a lot of raw milk out at the farm here, the raw milk never was an issue, never experienced any issues. It wasn't Holstein cows, a Southern European. Second, I went on antibiotics three days in, I started getting gas and started getting a runny nose from it. And I was like, fuck, man, I got to rebuild the microbiome before I get back on that. You know um, how to do that? I got some ideas, but, but enlighten me. Top secret. We'll have to talk about it off air. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> You're going to give me a poop sample to the keister? Yeah. No, there's, uh, <laughs> there's a fiber. I think it's called IMO. And uh, ironically, it's normally in baby formula. So that's how I, that's how I cured my lactose intolerance was through baby formula, which doesn't exist doesn't, now. doesn't exist anymore. Which, by the way, I think you can just feed babies protein powder. But what do I know? 
I don't think there's anything real special about. If you look at the ingredients, it's like soybean oil and protein, fat, and carbs, and, it's, and, yeah. and micronutrients. Anyway, uh, look for some IMO. I forget what it stands for, but it's a particular fiber. Maybe I can try to send you a link to it. Um, that you just take that for a handful of weeks, and it should help quite a bit. Cool. Yeah, I've been doing um, a couple different styles of yogurt. There's a coconut yogurt called Kalina that's uh, from a local woman here in Austin. That's awesome. Uh, really keto too. The unflavored. Super high fat, like 60 grams of fat, five grams of protein, no carbohydrates. Uh, Occasionally, we'll mix some raw honey in with that. Kids love it. And then there's, um, and the flavored ones are great. They're not overly carbohydrated, sugared up. And then um, there's another one from a lady that's local in San Antonio who has uh, the raw milk farm that we get our raw milk from. And she does a raw Greek yogurt that is phenomenal. Uh, that is a bit more carbohydrates, but still, you know, good sources. And, and what's um, uh, A two? A two is a different type of cow. It's a different type of casein oh. uh, in the cow, right? So, so yeah, you can A1, digest those better A2. sometimes yeah. too, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's that's the whole scene is the A one, I believe, and the Southern European is the A two. I might have that inverse. So check out uh, Stephen Gundry's book, The Plant Paradox, for more on that, or just watch him online. Um, but yeah, that that seems to be the case. You know, and the whole reason behind Holstein cows is that they produce like twice as much milk as any other cow. So from a volume standpoint, from a business standpoint, a capitalism standpoint, uh, the Holstein cow won out because it just produces way more pound for pound than the other cows. But it turns out that that's not as natural to us as mother's milk or goat's milk or the Southern European cow's milk. When are you going to come visit super training again? Fuck, man. I've been trying to avoid California, but now it's kind of like... I. I do want to get out. Um, I do want to get out there hopefully this year because I don't know how much you've seen around this. uh, (laughs) I don't even know if I want to say it. Might get the episode pulled. Um, The M-O-N-K-E-Y-P-O-X. Oh, yeah. That that, that was released uh, May 18th. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, they predicted it like a year ago. Mm. Within three days, they predicted it was May 15th that it would hit, right? So three days off. Um, not quite Nostradamus level. Um, Dustin Moskowitz, uh, one of the founders, founders of Facebook predicted that a year ahead of time because he knows a lot about this stuff. Right. And, um, he also predicted a few other things. He said, you know, like, uh, lockdowns and things like that wouldn't necessarily happen until January of 2023. And then by May of 2023, you know, we'd effectively see the new world order, uh, take its stranglehold on the population. Um, I'm not sure, you know, but, but the per- people that have presented this to me, like Dr. David E. Martin, it's been pretty fucking spot on. You know, he was featured in Plandemic Indoctrination. Uh, obviously, he's followed the patents on a lot of this stuff. Uh, I think the NIAID had um, 24 or 26 different patents on this pox ahead of time. So if you start to line these things up, right. odds are... Uh, we're going to see another lockdown next year. And I haven't really, I'll I'll break this down on a solo cast in more detail and link to stuff. Uh, I actually will link to the video that I'm referring to in the show notes on this one, because I know that's not good enough for a lot of people. You may want to dive into it, or you may want to just avoid the subject altogether and, uh, you know, thoughts and prayers, none of this shit happens. Um, But with that being the case and, and knowing where California and New York have been in the past, it'd be a good idea to head home and see my family. Uh, considering that it, it may be unadvisable to travel there in the next couple of years. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I got uh, something new going on out there. What do you got at Super Training? 
I got something called Smelly's Kitchen. So we're sitting here talking about food and we're talking about how you can't have anything disgusting. You know, it's got, it's got to be foods that you want. And it's just real simple things that I just have learned to kind of cook over the years. I'm not a chef or barely a cook. And a lot of the stuff is just um, real simple recipes. You know, it's just three to five recipes. I use a pan. I use people are always asking about how I cook steaks. And uh, I use like a smoker and stuff like that here or there. But really easy. I just I chop steak up. I put it in a pan. I throw seasoning on it and it comes out amazing. Um, I got some simple ways to cook like eggs, ground beef. I take ground beef. I take pork panko. I don't know if you ever had uh, pork and good pork panko. Have you ever had that before? No. Is that like a pork breading that you'd use? It's a pork crust? breading and it's fucking amazing. Oh my God. That sounds amazing. And they make so many different like flavors of it. They have a ranch one. They have an Italian one. Um, so sometimes I'll use the Italian pork panko and I'll put some um, uh, marinara sauce in there with it. And you're, you're having a fucking party. It's just so good. Some mozzarella in there as well. Um, then I just have like a bunch of things that I make at home that I'm like, let me just present this to people, start to show people. So it's on my YouTube channel now. We just released the first episode. It's uh, Mark Smelly Bell's YouTube channel for those that want to uh, check it out. But I just do stuff with like shakes and all kinds of different things. I make an ice cream out of my steak shake protein. I don't know if you've tried that yet, but I think you'd uh -huh. like it a lot. We'll, uh, we can mix some up for you. Fuck yeah. That sounds amazing, brother. <laughs> That's super good. What else you got going on? You got anything coming up? Anything you're getting into? Uh, Any dope guests coming on the show? You know what? I, I'm really enjoying running at the moment and uh, just working on, you know, getting better at that. And uh, just really just enjoying my life and my family and my kids. My son's 18, my daughter's 14 and, uh, you know, getting to still spend time with them and also recognizing that my time's running out with them. Like my son's going to, you know, be off and like doing his own, whatever the hell he's going to be doing uh, in the future. He's start his hero's journey. <laughs> yeah. Hey, he's got to go out and figure out the world on his own. Right. Um, uh, and then just, yeah, just, uh, pot, you know, podcasting, like the podcast stuff is a lot of fun. Uh, we're always working on getting, you know, good, interesting guests and trying to, we've kind of, kind of fallen into this spot of, uh, this like almost like a man cave help type of thing, you know, where people are, people are really liking the content. We, we, uh, went down this like rabbit hole of, of talking about like sexual dysfunction and like people just, they, they love that. They love that we talk about porn and stuff like that because people are very addicted to you porn. You guys give your know. favorite videos and like, yeah, yeah. We're list. like a link. Here's me at Khalifa. Here's her home uh -huh. phone number. Yeah, if this you want to hit her is, up. Um, Bignaturals.com, uh, the hit list is yeah. our top five in each category. Top five favorite BBCs and stuff like that. Yeah, we have them all listed out so people can check them out. It's not like always that. the biggest. It's not always the biggest, right? Right. right. Or no. I don't know. <laughs> um, we and uh, we we talk uh, talked about we had an episode where we talked about a penis pump, and then it was so funny. Like all the comments, the comments are just lighting up, and people were like, "What the hell are you guys talking about? You know, we don't need this stuff. Like we're younger." And I'm like, "You know, those motherfuckers are clicking on the link. <laughs> they're, they're like, oh, this is so dumb. And they're like, click, click, they can't click fast enough to like check out the website. You know, it's great. I wanted one of those so bad when I was in high school. I had a very low self esteem around that uh, sexual experiences. And um, I've never talked about this on a podcast either. My sister, who's yes. a year younger than me, got me one for graduation. And I fucking used that thing daily for like a year. It's straight. amazing, right? It was awesome. But the thing was, 
you know, it's unless, impressive unless, when you're in the pump. God damn, it was impressive. But unless you, I mean, I got, yeah, the Mandingo stuff. <laughs> but unless you got a cock ring, like it just goes back down to normal yeah. pretty fucking quick. Right? Like, I don't think I added anything over no, time. No, no, I don't think it, yeah, you I know? don't. I think it's, uh, like, honestly, I think it's just like a, a blood flow thing. Yeah. I, I actually think a penis pump is like kind of a healthy, a healthy thing to have. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, 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 it I would certainly be my But it's best. not going to like make your dick bigger, I don't no, think. No, 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 no. No, it didn't do that, unfortunately. We need the hanger for that, we learned. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, dude. there's a hanger. You can hang like weights the, off. The of last it. time I was on fucking Rogan's, we talked about that for like 15 minutes. Yeah. The first the opening of the show. It's called a bib. About. It's called a bib hanger. A bib hanger. Yeah. Man, you guys have gone down the rabbit hole. I know. Stuff. Well, because it can stretch some of the ligaments down there. So do you use, I mean, here's the, here's the question <laughs> I have then. Is it better for the I, uncircumcised to go through the go through the foreskin? Yeah, you're just fucking hammer timing <laughs> it this whole time in front of the camera. Um, is it better? Is it look at that? I've been leaning back out off the shot this whole time. This is great about doing your own fucking video. It's just fucking my body and your. <laughs> it's just your. It's your. It's, yeah, it's, it's your dick and my legs. <laughs> that was a great fucking YouTube. Um, well, I was comfortable. At least I had that going for mm-hmm. me. Um, but do they go through the fuck? Is it like a um a, what is that? A Prince Albert where they actually go through the cockhead or do they go through the the foreskin? This I don't know, sir. All right, I don't know much about that. Okay, part. all right, I'm wondering that stuff. I now. haven't now, gotten now. That I got to dive into it because if that does work, it's just it's just interesting what people find what people find interesting uh, fascinates me. You know, like you put out like some uh, different stuff, different content. Um, you know, via social media, and you're like, this is gonna be a banger. This one's gonna be, this one's gonna be great. And like, it just falls totally flat. And then something that is real casual, where you just decided to say fuck it and you ate a pop tart or something, everyone shares that and thinks it's funny and thinks it's it just like whatever. It could be something like really, really random. And so it's hard to, you know, we've had this podcast for a long time. I've done probably uh, fifteen hundred or maybe more shows Damn. been doing it for years and years. Um, no one ever cares. You know, we talk about squats and bench and deadlifts, but as soon as we start talking about our dick, whew, sales went through the roof. You took off. <laughs> That's all they were waiting on. <laughs> yeah. That's all they were waiting on. Well, where can people find you? People can find me at Mark Smelly Bell. I have a YouTube channel, which is Mark Smelly Bell. And uh, I have another YouTube channel, which is, uh, I think it's Mark Bell Super Training. And then I have a podcast, which is called Mark Bell's Power Project, which you've been on before. Fuck yeah, brother. It's been great fucking hanging. I know. It's been awesome. Thank you so much for showing me the farm. Uh, but you do have to come out to Sacramento because you got to you gotta do some jujitsu with Encima. We got we to gotta get this guy, you know, reined in a little bit, you know? I'm down. You know, sometimes people get a big head, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Cut him back down to size. I get yeah. that. You know, keep him, keep him in line. I mean, I don't know if you're the guy for it, but like, we maybe bring three or four guys with you. I'll grab my coach. He's he's my my guy. I got my black belt from. It's just a short, pudgy, looks like nothing. You know, youngest of three brothers, and and just a horrible, can, horrible guy to try to grapple. To fuck, you can fuck anyone up. Just a fucking master, <laughs> an absolute master. Leandro Vieira. You still can't. Brother. You still can't do shit to him. No, no, not if he's trying. Not even close. I mean, it, it, yeah, like he, was, he would go very nice with me. And you, you know, keep in mind, this guy's like, maybe, maybe should, if he was, if he was shredded and competing, he'd probably be 165, 170, you know? So he's, and he got like 20 pounds of fat, but <laughs> right. last I checked, sorry, coach, if you're listening to this, but 
<laughs> um, you know, he was just known for wrecking the best guys in the world as they're training for the worlds. Mm. They're training for Pan Ams. They're training for ADCC. And this guy's just rolling out of bed, coming in, and, and they can't Damn. submit him. They can't do shit to him. And that's something he was always known for as the youngest of the three brothers. Didn't win a championship, but could fucking hang with anyone in the world. Did he do it since he was a kid? Oh, yeah. yeah. He was the youngest of three brothers. Yeah, you know, like yeah. fucking dad yeah. was into it. You know, so. Right, right. Yeah, man. Well, uh, absolutely. I want to hang more. And uh, uh, I want you guys to come to dinner tonight if you're down. It's Taco Tuesday. We're going to get it. Taco Tuesday. Yeah, so hopefully you can you can set the war on carbs aside for a night. Come after it with me. Eh, we'll see. All right. Love you, brother.